Well, today I am speaking with Julie Beeling, and Julie is the author of a book called Beneath Sheep's Clothing. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's fascinating subject. It's about um, communism and the relationship between the Soviet communist takeover and what we're seeing today in this country. And uh, Julie, would you just start by introducing yourself and telling a little bit about the book and about the documentary project that you're working on from that? Sure. Yeah. So in the late 90s, I was a missionary in Russia and uh, it was a wonderful experience, very intense experience. Um, I came back to the States and I got a dual master's in Russian and East European studies and Russian language and literature. And for my Russian and East European studies degree, I ended up writing a thesis, a master's thesis. And I actually decided to write my thesis on underground Christian movements in the Soviet Union and their survival tactics and the tactics of the Soviet state to try to demolish them and to demolish Christianity um, and religion in general. And there were three main tactics that I really um, discovered that I really focused on for my thesis. And I focused on the period from the end of World War II up until perestroika, which was the most sophisticated set of tactics. The early tactics that the Soviets used against religion were very brutal and actually ended up backfiring. I mean, it was mass arrest, mass execution and imprisonment. And it ended up breeding a lot of underground um, religious activity. So I focused on the latter part of the Soviet Union. And um, yeah, so I did that. That was over 20 years ago that I began working on my thesis. And then I set all my materials aside, moved on with my life. And in 2008, there was something that happened that was in the news. And that really kind of struck me in a very interesting way. It was um, a religious fringe group in the United States that no one liked, that everyone considered to be a cult. They experienced some of the same types of treatment that I wrote about in my thesis that the underground Christian movements in the Soviet Union experienced. And that was they they experienced an armed militarized raid at the hands of the government. And but in this case, it wasn't the Soviet government, it was the government here in America. They had all their children forcibly removed without due cause, due process, I should say, um, or due cause, and were just had this brutal arm of the government against them. And there was a massive um, wave of propaganda against them, some of which was true, and some of it which was trumped up. And it was, um, it looked like they were trying to be destroyed. And so I, and I, it, again, it looked exactly like the types of things I researched with the underground Baptists and Pentecostals in the Soviet Union, Seventh-day Adventists. So I began researching and I began seeing that all the three major tactics that I researched for my thesis that the Soviets used to d- destroy Christianity were all in place in America hmm. and had been in some cases for over a century. So that was the genesis of um, my book, Beneath Sheep's Clothing. The subtitle is The Communist Takeover of Culture in the USSR and Parallels in Today's America. So I was able to finally publish my book last year. And um, now we're working on the documentary um, based on my book. Wow. Wow. So many questions I I have for you about that. So the 2008 uh, group, was that that was a polygamous group? And I can't remember where it wasn't Utah, was it? No, it was the FLDS, Fundamentalist um, LDS in Texas. In Texas, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And and so what were the three tactics that you were observing? Yeah. So um, in my thesis, the the three tactics that the Soviets used, um, again, first was anti-religious propaganda and pro-communist, pro-Soviet propaganda. That's all one? Yes. Okay. Anti-religious, pro-communist. Okay. Yeah. All throughout society. So throughout education, throughout media, entertainment, throughout the fine arts, throughout all aspects that they could control, the culture was broadly anti-religious, pro-socialist slash communist. Um, the second tactic was so instead of what the Soviets did in the in this first few decades of the Soviet Union, which is again persecute all Christians, um, arrests and you know mass arrests, mass um, executions, they they kind of went hands off with the mainstream organizations that registered with the government, and they focused their efforts. They kept the heavy 
armed tactics only on the fringe Christian groups, okay. fringe religious groups that nobody liked and everybody considered to be cults. And in the Soviet Union, that was, oh, there, there were different branches. There were different types of Baptists. There were some that went with the government and then there was some that broke off and were like, no. To, to be able to go with the government, you had to like agree that, you know, you couldn't baptize children or if someone wanted to get baptized into your church, they had to like sign up with the government first and have a three-year waiting period. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a lot of really heavy mm -hmm. restrictions. Mm -hmm. And so the ones that did not want the government interfering in their religious practices, they had to go underground. And these were the groups that received, they still received raids on their meetings. They had their children taken forcibly and put in, you know, state-run atheist foster care. They, um, you know, would go to the gulag, arrests, and sent, you know, prison sentences to the gulag. They would be, some of them, forcibly interred in psychiatric institutions and forcibly given psychotropic drugs because mm. of their religious delusions when mm -hmm. they were mm -hmm. uh, retraining. Like yes. And um, then the third tactic, which is the one that was most successful, well, they were all very successful. This was the actual literal infiltration of the churches with KGB agents posing as clergy. Oh, interesting. And this was began in the 1960s. And so for all of the churches that were, um, again, registered with the government or not, they all experienced this infiltration to some degree or another. The Russian Orthodox Church very heavily infiltrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, others to different degrees. So those were the three tactics. So you you are observing these in action and you observe them around the time of the FLDS. Um, so anti-religious pro-communist propaganda, I feel like I, I can see that. I, I see what you're saying. I think that we have we have seen quite a bit of that, but will you give some examples of how you see that showing up in culture? Yeah, so in my book, I go into, um, primarily I look at K through 12 education, but of course I have to mention higher education, which was subverted first. Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, I mean, I kind of had to work my way backwards through all of this and sift through a lot of, go down lots of different rabbit holes. But I go through 10, the 10 ways in which America's education went from being an education that produced pro-freedom um, Christians that, you know, pro-family individuals and hard workers and, you know, fairly well-educated people by the standard of the world to what we have going on now, which is anything but that. Mm -hmm. um, we look at, we had a, a few players, heavy hitting players at the very beginning of the 20th century, investing massive amounts of money into education. Um, this is Rockefeller Foundation, Carnegie Foundation individuals. They were actually they were investing more in America's education than the government was. And they were, they were importing tactics from Prussia mm -hmm. to kind of treating students as animals, like the rat in the cage with, you mm -hmm. know, here's the pellet when you, push yeah. the and then you get electric conditioning. Shock. Yes. Operant mm -hmm. conditioning. Mm -hmm. So um, it started out with that. Um, moving on to the teachers unions developing, becoming these hardcore leftist organizations, um, going all, you know, of course there was the push to remove Christianity from the schools, which going back, you know, back to the 19th century and before the schools were very, very deeply intertwined with Christianity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they had to extricate that. They had to, you know, get the Christianity out first and then bring in the secular humanism, mm -hmm. which seemed fairly innocuous at first. And now we've gone from promoting secular humanism in the schools to this full-on woke Marxist insanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, the wokeism is a whole topic in and of itself of having infiltrated the schools, which for someone like myself, you know, I graduated from high school in the early nineties and I had a fairly good public school experience, like better than average, I think. And then I have a son now. Um, I had a, my son later in life and he's, he just started kindergarten in 2019. So I was not really aware of what was going on in education mm -hmm. for quite a number of years and now I'm homeschooling him, but mm -hmm. uh, did not have my finger on the pulse mm -hmm. of this downward slide with the woke Marxism. Um well, what are some other major tactics? There were there were efforts to dumb the students down, though, starting mm -hmm. much earlier in the 20th century, um, changing reading away from like a phonics 
training mm -hmm. to um, some things that were much less effective, mm -hmm. different, different efforts to dumb down uh, the way math has been taught. Mm -hmm. And there's many different cans of worms there. Um, but so then you put that under anti-religious and pro-communist <clears throat> propaganda in the education system? Well, <clears throat> the dumbing down is, mm -hmm. is part is connected with that, yes. Um, well, if the stated purpose of the public school or the compulsory schooling uh, institutional project is to create effective and obedient workers, which it is, is to create a good workforce. It's not in order to create independent thinkers. It's, um, it's to have a steady supply of workers for the country. So dumbing down is a part of that, which seems like an inherently collective project. Yes. Um, going back to the anti-religious, I mean, you really look at pop culture and entertainment and you see a very successful campaign, if you, if you want to call it that, with that. I mean, one of the things I discuss in the book, just looking at the treatment of um, Christians or Christian clergy in pop culture. Mm -hmm. I'm actually watching Little House on the Prairie with my son right now. It was the show that I watched growing up. And there's actually the reverend in that show is portrayed in a positive light. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of shocking, actually, because mm -hmm. you don't see that anymore. Um, to looking at like mainstream treatment of Christians. And there's basically three main motifs. There's the crazed lunatic, mm -hmm. you know, murderous Christian mm -hmm. Christian. There's there's like the nerdy, geeky, kind of lovable, but like kind of out of touch with reality Christian portrayal. And um, then there's like this the hyper controlling cult parent mm -hmm. trying to control their kid like footloose, you know. And mm -hmm. you, you see this throughout um pop culture and now, I mean, I don't think you could even, unless it's, you know, movies that are made by Christians, you don't see any, any positive portrayal of mm -hmm. Christians. Mm -hmm. um, and you haven't for, for decades. So, okay. so I yeah, I can see those, those are good examples of the anti-religious and, and pro-communist. Um, and so when you say focus on the fringe, uh, that's your second, um, the second uh, tactic that you identify as broad tactic. Um, I can see how focusing on the fringe could force anybody who's afraid of also being targeted to to comply more with an with a central orthodoxy. Is that kind of the the idea behind that? Hundred percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we get, we get to go further back. I have a chapter in my book on the treatment of the FLDS and what happened there. And I don't condone. I don't. I don't have the same views as the FLDS, and I do think Warren Jeffs is probably a sociopath. Um, the guy's bad news. Mm -hmm. um, the head of the FL, well, was the head of the FLDS. Um, we, I also have a chapter in my book on the Branch Davidians. Okay. Which actually researching that was, and I don't also agree with tenants that, that the Branch Davidians espoused, but. I remember when that happened. Oh, yeah. so shocking. That, that actually out of everything that I researched for my book was the most heartbreaking and shocking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what happened mm -hmm. with them. And basically- um, the forensic evidence looks like the government killed these people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you say without due process, that seems like the key right there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, David Koresh could have been taken to task on, you know, like statutory rape. He was engaging in sexual relations with like 14 year old girls with their parents' permission. You know, that's pretty mm -hmm. marginal, you mm -hmm. know, um, but the group was not a threat. They were mm -hmm. not be unleashing their weapons on, on mm -mm. their community around them. They were a very small fringe little group in mm -hmm. the middle of mm -hmm. rural Texas. They were not going to be a threat to anyone. Yeah. They and were they were all killed mm -hmm. by the government. And the ones that weren't killed, the few that escaped were given extremely punitive sentences. Mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Way, way beyond the pale what happened with them. Mm -hmm you know a lot of the children children murdered and mm -hmm. burned to death and so it's and then the day after the day after they were killed bill clinton comes out let me read the quote actually mm -hmm. um this is pretty telling um the day what after year was that do you 1993 93 okay yeah okay okay 
This was the day after these people were torched to death. Bill Clinton comes out, this is a quote. I am very sorry for the loss of life which occurred at the beginning and at the end of this tragedy in Waco. I hope very much that others who will be tempted to join cults and to become involved with people like David Koresh will be deterred by the horrible scenes they have seen over the last seven weeks. Wow. Wow. So, That's really blatant. Then you go and let you look, that be a lesson to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. And then you go and you can see um, the C-SPAN footage in Congress of, because it was pretty obvious that the, um, the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco that had mm -hmm. enacted this raid against them, um, that they had been in the wrong. And so mm -hmm. there was a, a, a trial in Congress and, you know, a couple of attorneys that had been attorneys for some of the Branch Davidians were there. Mm -hmm. And um, there were a lot of people, you know, saying, look, the government, what did you do? You don't just go and <laughs> what did you do to these people? And there were four senators in particular mm -hmm. that you can watch them on tape. They're saying, nope, they killed them. They killed their own children. They killed themselves with no evidence for that. Mm -hmm. they, and they just kept going back to that narrative. And those four senators, um, Chuck Schumer was one of them. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden was one of them. Orrin Hatch, who was a Utah senator. And then John Conyers, who was a Michigan senator. There was mm -hmm. these four that kept, they were trying to control the narrative within that. Oh, track. wow. Wow. So I found that very interesting as well. That is interesting. One more aspect to this, um, if you remember Vince Foster, who was an aide to the Clintons, um, who had gone to the park and shot himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He he did this in response to the, the tragedy at Waco. Okay. His, his widow said that he felt personally responsible for what happened. He could not reconcile the deaths of those people, especially the children. And he he wrote a lengthy, a lengthy letter explaining all of this and then went and shot himself and but that letter disappeared hillary clinton's aides went in and took okay wow that we've never seen so there's a lot that we don't know mm -hmm. about what happened there but this happened right after the clintons got into office mm, okay okay so the that that's that's a really strong example those two examples waco and flds are yeah. the examples of without without using due process of law going in and exterminating or or cracking down on fringe groups which pushes people towards the center yes. which is more controllable yes and then your third tactic that you gave was infiltration um with agents yes. now is that actually happening are the churches being infiltrated by by marxist actors or yes okay yeah and they have been for over a century um, okay this, this process began in in um the early 20th century 1920s especially began to ramp up um, again funded by rockefeller foundation funding literal communists to go in to the seminaries mm -hmm. and then in some cases take charge of the seminaries where clergy were being trained kind of the same model as what happened with the with education higher education you take over okay. the you take over the training centers first and um so then what they would do, and I mean, I can give you names, there's, it's all out there, mm -hmm. um, is they, they would first, they started by um, kind of changing the doctrines, mm -hmm. these seminaries to make Christianity more um, reconcilable with socialism, um, demythologizing. And so, oh, Jesus, not really, wasn't really born of a virgin birth. You know, that's kind of, you know, that's just like an allegory. So demythologizing Christianity within the seminaries, it's a little bit shocking for that to be a place where such a thing takes place. And then promoting what's called the social gospel. Um, let me let me show you the, the sins of the of the social gospel. Um, because and this this again, this has been going on for over a century within with the National Council of Churches, the National Council of Churches. Um, which a lot of mainstream mainline Christian sects belong to it. By the mid 20th century, about half of America's church, Christian churches were subverted quite heavily from the top down. With By the mid 20th century? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then it's only gotten worse since then. Um, we have um, Harry F. Ward, he was called the Red Dean. He was a dean of, of the seminary, and he was he was not 
didn't hide the fact that he was communist. Hmm. Um, he was kind of a ringleader. He was funded by um, the Rockefellers. Um, Joseph Fletcher, he taught at Episcopal Theological College beginning in 1944. He's also a com communist. He, he participated with Communist Party USA. He helped found Planned Parenthood. Found. Planned oh, okay. Parenthood. Wow. Um, he was a eugenicist. Um, and then he actually ended up leaving Christianity and becoming an open communist. Hmm. He was humanist of the year in 1974. He helped, he was a signer of the Humanist Manifesto. Mm -hmm. a member of the American Eugenics Association, a lovely individual. I'm trying to find, okay, here we go. Um, Walter Rauschenbusch, like I don't can't pronounce that right. He was an early one. He, that he was the individual who came up with the social gospel and basically taking Christianity and twisting it to be now an arm of social justice. So instead of it okay. being, instead of making Christianity a faith where one is to get to know God, and to become reconciled to God through Jesus, which I think that's what Christianity is. Mm -hmm. Wrong, but <laughs> instead of that, it's no longer a relationship with God and a reconciliation with God. It's a social justice mm -hmm. vehicle. Okay. And it's easy, I think, to it was easy to, to kind of twist that in people's minds because mm -hmm. service to humanity and service to the under underprivileged is absolutely a part of Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, but to make it exclusively that and then... Um, let me see if I can find this quote. Um, well, he talked about the the like the six or seven sin. Okay, the six sins of social injustice. Okay, yeah, he said Russian Bush. Jesus didn't die for the sins of man, but for the six sins of social injustice. And one of the six, one of those sins is class contempt. Um, oh. that, you know, wow, really mar Marxist. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and. And so you you turn you turn away from worries about sins and redemption to just doing good deeds and helping the poor and oppressed. Okay. So that that was for that. And um, so I wrote most of my book in from 2009 to 2011, and then in in 2021 I was like I really have to finish my book now, and then I had to catch it up to modern times, and I was shocked and horrified to see that now evangelical churches in the last decade have been heavily subverted from the top down. Mm. What um, was it before? If it wasn't evangelical, what was, what were the churches that were being subverted? Well, the churches that belong to the national council of churches, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Methodist, Orthodox, um, AME. And then we have with the, with the black churches, we have black liberation theology, which is explicitly Marxist. That was also a big thing that happened. Um, okay. So it's happening. I have, I'll just tell you my own kind of background with regard to this is that I, I didn't grow up going to church. I grew up, um, both parents had had difficult relationships with religion as kids and had decided to raise us without doing that, without church. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, there was a period of time where I considered myself an atheist just because I got so much pressure from the Christians. I lived in South Texas there's a lot of pressure from Christians and Catholics and a lot of like, you're going to hell and you don't believe right. And, and so I felt I, my impression of Christianity was really oppressive. That was yeah. my impression was it's bullying and it's hypocritical and it says it's about love, but these people are so mean. And so I had a really bad taste in my mouth about Christianity and religion in general until I went to university. I went to a Catholic university and I had to actually engage with the Bible firsthand. I had to really read the New Testament. I developed a much more open mind about it. And I've considered myself to be in a place of openness and seeking since then, but I don't consider myself necessarily a Christian or not. I don't really know. So that's just that's just me on, on the table. I'm probably gonna get a lot of flack for that, but whatever, it's fine. That's just where I am. I, I try, I've tried out churches over my adult life and I've gone to some for as many as a couple of years, but it's never been a, uh, I have a, just a complicated relationship with it. So I don't come from a Christian perspective. I'm not, um, but I'm also not hostile towards it. So I'm open-minded to what you have, what you have to say. And I think it's interesting that you're framing this as um, it sounds like, and correct me and, and help me to refine this if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're your perspective on this, the communist takeover is that it's explicitly and an overtly anti-Christian. 
first and foremost. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Christianity is the main the main ideological threat to communism. Mm-hmm. And with Christianity being such a, a dominant ideology throughout the world, yeah, it has to had to be subverted very mm-hmm. heavily. So. Well, there are certain things that, uh, in terms of valuing life and and love and family and certain values that that have been a part of Western culture. Yeah, it's. I find that as I try to understand what the moral underpinning for these things would be, I come back to religion over and over again, mm-hmm. and I have. I I don't want to say that there's no secular underpinning there's no possible secular underpinning because i don't know but i keep coming back to religion as a backbone for a lot of those things and um and christian judeo-christian values as a as the underpinning for those things and what i do see is that this the communist movement the cultural takeover is explicitly materialist and hedonistic and doesn't value life and you know, I, I, I'm interested what are your thoughts on that? What, what do you, would you say a little bit about that? If you have thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And not only that communism cannot handle there to be a God above the leader of the state and the system, the communist system has to be the God and the church. There can't be a competing power structure for that. And so even just alone on that, um, Christianity is a huge threat. Of course, the family is a huge threat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I see communism as the antithesis. It's like an inversion of Christianity. And it purports to be all these good things. Oh, you know, we're going to take care of the least among us. We'll be fed and clothed and housed. Um, but then there's no regard for life. There's no regard for individual rights. Um, I just watched a documentary on Sunday. This is what I do in my spare time um, about the the one child policy in China. It's on Amazon Prime. It's a good, good documentary. I highly recommend it. It's horrifying. What was it called? Um, oh my gosh. I don't know. It's okay. If you think of it, you can send me a link. One and I'll, put child it in the thing. I'll send you the link. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. you know, it's a recent documentary and it's a woman a Chinese woman, Chinese American going back to China and investigating this. And she had her own own family members just talking about, oh yeah, I had a baby and um, we just left the baby in the marketplace and the baby starved. Oops, there was nothing we could do. The government just made us. And then the the midwives, the village midwives were abortionists. They, 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 They aborted babies regularly eight to nine months along. Wow. And like you would find fetuses in garbage bags and garbage, you know, garbage all over the place. I mean, the amount of disregard for life and the people today, I mean, this documentary was, is very recent. Mm -hmm. They don't even feel much remorse. I mean, a part of them does. Yeah. Well, they probably can't reconcile that. It's probably too dark for them to even go there. It's just unbelievable. And I even living in Russia in the late 90s, so a few years after the collapse of the Soviet Union, I just saw so many relics of a complete disregard for human life and human humanity. And the Russian people are not bad people. They're actually, I'd say they're more caring and for their people in their inner circle, more generous than Mm -hmm. Americans are and very giving people. But like on a scale, like, just out in in a city street you would just see this like just disregard for human suffering um yeah unreal but that is beaten out of people Um, well i i will say that one of the things that shocked me most in the the discourse in the last couple of years especially with the abortion debate whether or not you agree on whether there's some period of time when an abortion is a reasonable thing to consider whether or not you agree that there's possible in the first trimester whatever right the idea that it's now sweeping through that it's okay to abort a late-term baby and even up to birth i can't i i just can't fathom that that's a thing it's insane and it it really is like they would fit right in in china mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. people who don't have a problem with that mm-hmm. 
Well, I guess just one little aside. I, I think when I say that um, looking for a moral underpinning and coming back to religion, I should refine that and say that I think I come back to spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that it has to be a specific religion, but mm-hmm. I come back to something that's spiritual and it's not material and it's not based on anything that, that we can um, discern with our with our materialist and, and rational minds. It's something more ethereal and it's a basis, it's a, it's a love of life and the essence of life, but which is something Judeo-Christian, spiritual. Christian, Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. ethics, though, it all comes back to that too. Mm-hmm. Um, our society is built on Judeo-Christian ethics and any, you know, any kind of belief system that is not compatible with Judeo-Christian ethics has not been able to, it is not compatible with America, but except now um, we have this onslaught of woke Marxism, which mm-hmm. is not compatible in my opinion with Judeo-Christian ethics. So when, when you were speaking with, with Cara Bartholomew, um, I, I, Cara Marcel, I saw your, um, your interview with her. Mm-hmm. You were talking, you guys did a really good dissection of Yuri Bezmenov's, mm-hmm. um, his, uh, warnings to the American yeah. people. Yeah. Would you mind walking me through that? Yeah, definitely. So for those who aren't aren't familiar and everyone should go watch this on YouTube, Yuri Bezmenov was a KGB agent, a Soviet KGB agent, a propagandist who defected from the Soviet Union in the late seventies. He defected to the West, I believe Canada. And then he was trying to warn, it, it was literally his job. He was actually stationed in India and it was his job to like slowly get in and propagandize to the people of India and um, he knew the tactics well. And so in this video, it was recorded by Geo Edward Griffin, this interview in, I believe, 1985. And um, there's also a few other videos with him, but he goes through four steps to um, subvert a society, um, to a free society or a freer society to communist. And he, he lays it all out. And this, again, this was his job. And he claimed that 80% of of the KGB's efforts went towards this process of ideological subversion in the nations of the world. That espionage was really just a small, you know, that's like the more like, oh, James Bond type thing, really interesting, but really it was this ideological subversion of the propagandists that was really the main foundation of their efforts. Because again, communism, it's not content with a nation becoming communist. It has to be a worldwide global movement. That is what they've always pushed for. Mm-hmm. So the four steps, he lays it all out. Step one is, is um, demoralization. And he said that it takes between, I believe it's 15 to 20 to 30 years to, um, to demoralize a society. It's one or two generations of school kids. Mm-hmm. So you're in the schools and you're, and you're training them to be supportive of the ideology of their enemy, which in this case is socialism. And um, he, he said that in, as of 1985, America was way overfulfilled with this mm. step one, mm. that it was beyond overfulfilled, beyond their wildest dreams. They could not have imagined how successful this, this demoralization would have been in America. And when you say demoralization, I think removal of meaning mm-hmm. and removal of agency. Mm-hmm. And what else? Well, I mean, part of demoralization is a literal erosion of the morals mm-hmm. of the people. And there are several quotes from different Soviet actors, including I think Khrushchev, or Khrushchev is how we pronounce it in America himself, that America that they had to go in and kind of degrade the morals, um, the sexual morals of the young mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Get, mm-hmm. get young people. Okay interested in casual sex and yeah remove you know and get people kind of interested in the material and instead of the spiritual mm-hmm. um, um going into the arts and making the arts ugly mm-hmm. like yeah ugly, ugly sculpture instead of beautiful yeah. sculpture yeah I even mean, our architecture looks disposable oh yeah and mm-hmm. so there's a whole list of those types mm-hmm. of things but to but to take take the young people of a society and make them look upon socialism in a friendly manner. Mm-hmm. And at, at this point now, how many, is there, what percentage of young people don't look upon socialism mm-hmm. in a positive light? I think there's very few at this point, like high school, college age, um, young people. So, um, but, but 1985, way over fulfilled. 
step two is uh, destabilization. And he said it took between two to five years to destabilize the nation. So once they've been sufficiently demoralized, then you go in and destabilize the main institutions of that society. Well, the, the main, I don't think institution is the right word, but they go in and destabilize the medical system, the mm. international relations, the monetary system. And I think it's pretty obvious that we, this destabilization, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally, I think probably intentionally began in March of 2020 with COVID. Okay. okay. Destabilization in March of 2020? Yes, okay. I believe that's when it began in the West um, to destabilize our economies, our, our you know, the food supply, the... Um, okay, yeah, I can see that. And international relations and education, all these main underpinnings and undergirdings yeah. of society being destabilized. Mm -hmm. So that's already been, you know, over three years. Okay. So, um, the third step in ideological subversion is crisis. And I it's I hate to alarm you, but crisis, he says, takes six weeks. Um, and step four is normalization. Your society has now fallen to a communist regime and the process of normalization sets in. This is where they, this, Yuri Vizmenov doesn't say this, but this is what's part of of um, normalization is execution of dissidents, execution slash imprisonment, arrest and imprisonment of dissidents or people who could potentially become dissidents. Will that happen here in America? I don't know, but that's what happens. That's the pattern that happens when communism mm -hmm. takes over a society. Mm -hmm. There's a. This is why it's the deadliest form of government in the history of the world because they they engage in mass genocide of their own people, um, mass murder. They're mass murderers. And was this same formula followed in other communist takeovers, the same steps, or is this a new, is this a, a formula created for American subversion specifically? It's my understanding. So, I mean, I've, the Soviet, how, how, how Russia fell to communism, I think is slightly different. I think there's, there's a lot of overlap, mm -hmm. um, but it was a very highly vulnerable populace. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very unequal society and, mm -hmm. and they were able to use, um, I mean, it, it was, it, there was some differences with the Soviet Union. They were also the first, they didn't even know what was hitting them until mm -hmm. it was too late, way too late. Um, China, I think it was more closely following this. I think this is the, this is the system that they were using from like the mid 20th century and on to go to the, mm -hmm. the nations of the world. But I mean, we don't talk about this as of 1985, one third of the world's populace was living under a communist government. Oh, wow. 1985, one third. Yes, okay. one third of the world's population. And we're not just talking like, oh, the democratic socialists. No, we're talking like Marxist, Leninist, totalitarian, communist regime. One third of the world's population. Well, and I can see why communism would make a lot of sense for people who want to be able to control an orderly citizenry because it allows for very easy centralized control. Yeah. Yeah. These people are power hungry monsters, um, people at the top of this, but I mean, it spread all through Latin America, um, you know, all throughout Asia. It, it, it was a lot, huge parts of Europe, you know, were locked in. And of course, America, and Western Europe were kind of the hardest nuts to crack. And then there are some additional tactics that had to be developed to help America and the West to be more vulnerable to falling. And James Lindsay has, has you know, taught about this ad nauseum with cultural Marxism, where they had to go in and they had to, they had to infiltrate from within five mm -hmm. key institutions mm -hmm. within the West. This is Antonio Gramsci um, in mm -hmm. his writings, mm -hmm. Italian Marxist, like 1920s or something. Um, they had to go in and infiltrate because the West was resistant, wasn't falling to communism like it was supposed to. They had to infiltrate the legal system, the education, religion, the family, and media entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of goes right along with that. Um, mm -hmm. But that is how the Western society at this point is in such a precarious um, position with mm -hmm. being, I mean, we, unless we like have a mass awakening, and I hope we can. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in a very dangerous position. 
mm -hmm. all of the West to falling to a communist regime. And then what will happen? Will it be exactly like what they've done in the past? We don't know. A lot of people are saying it's probably going to be more like the China system mm -hmm. where it's this surveillance state. And as long as you, you know, go along with the surveillance and go along with everything, it might look like your life is kind of normal-ish, but for dissidents, people that don't go along with that, mm. that is not going to be good. I don't know how it's all going to shake down, but I'm just doing everything I can to be a part of waking up as many people as possible. And what do you, what do you think, is there anything that gives you optimism right now? Is there anything that you see um, as hopeful and what yeah. do you think people can do right now? Yeah, I mean, I think COVID was a huge wake-up call for a lot of people, and the over was that a misstep. Well, I mean, it was a miscalculation that they. I I don't think it was planned for so many people to stand up to you know the mandates and the various things, and it did wake up a lot of people. I mean, I think, I think that we can prevent possibly some of the worst possible outcomes. I think. I mean, I think we're so compromised at this point that we're going to go through some hard times regardless. Mm. But if we can, I think most importantly um, is protect our children, mm. um, protect our young people from being brainwashed and subverted to this. Um, I'm homeschooling my son and I plan to indefinitely. Uh, he's eight years old. So we've got a lot of years ahead of us with that. And um it's hard to protect our children from, from all of this, but we really have to teach them and train them. I, I do, I do see reason for hope. And, um, you know, we're, I'm working on the documentary version of my book that will hopefully, you know, a lot of people don't want to sit down and read a lengthy book. Um, I understand, <laughs> but more people will watch a documentary. We're going to make our documentary free also, mm -hmm. um, because, we really have to reach as many people as possible. Um, and I'm hoping we can reach, you know, the target market for my book and for the documentary, it's Christians and it's parents of K through 12 students and anyone who cares about freedom. But I'm also hoping that there are some of young people who are going into woke land mm -hmm. that we can retrieve out of that before they get in too far. Once they're in really far, it's really hard. And Yuri Bezmenov talks about this. When someone has been ideologically subverted, you can show them true mm -hmm. information and they cannot, their brain cannot receive it. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully we can get to some young people before they get to that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's dark and heavy to talk about all of this, but uh, we, we have to do it. What do you see as the negative consequences if things do go the way that they look like they're going with the, the ideology, the wokeness, the, the race and gender, and and whatever else follows from that what do you see as the potential negative outcome quite a lot um i mean so you had in china with the red guard and you also had this in the soviet union where you had this whole vast army of highly brainwashed and aggrieved people and again communism marxism operates on and Marxism is the playbook to subvert society, society to communism. It operates on grievance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, oh, like you're oppressed and you've got to, to tear down the power of the oppressor class. And so anytime you see this grievance, you know, drum being beat constantly, that's a red flag for you. Mm -hmm. um, what, the, what happened in the Soviet Union, they called it the dictatorship of the proletariat. The proletariat was the underclass, the economic underclass that was encouraged to rise up against their oppressor class, the bourgeois. Mm -hmm. And then in China, it was the dictatorship of the, I guess, the, the Han guy. were the yeah. bad and guys because the, they were the dominant. Yeah, well, it was the dictatorship group. of the, the young people that had been heavily brainwashed to go okay. and to, to tear down the five the olds. Old. Yeah. yeah. And so what we have going on here, what I hope we can push back enough against it, but dictatorship of the woke is what I call it. Mm, okay. So even if there's not like government laws, which there are in some places now, there's some states that if a parent doesn't want to transition their child mm -hmm. to a different gender medically, that the, the state can then now here in America, yeah. in some of our states, take their child 
don't have to tell the parents where they are and the state will transition them. The well, governor of Washington just signed that yeah. into, yeah. That's pure insanity. Nope. Oh, and they'll take, they'll take refugees. They'll take gender refugees from all 50 states, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, that can't be allowed to continue, but a dictatorship of the woke where the, you know, the people with the bludgeons and with the on boots on the ground, um, Antifa mm -hmm. are terrorizing the populace to go along with this, um, to go along with, I mean, worst case scenario, and I hope we can prevent this. I think we can, but like, you know, where they're instituting reparations, which is, mm -hmm. you know, like what's a million dollars per black person who wasn't mm -hmm. even a slave themselves. And then now white people are this underclass. Um, or white adjacent people, I guess that would also include black people that don't want to go along with this would be considered mm -hmm. white mm -hmm. adjacent. Right. Um, but it, where it's the aggrieved people that um, that are wielding the weapons and and terrorizing the populace populace to go along with this. Um, and you know, again, Antifa is kind of like the the ultimate manifestation of that. And you look at Antifa. And a lot of them are have a lot of gender confusion stuff. They seem to have a lot of that going on. And I think we'll see more and more of that. Mm -hmm. And I feel badly for these people. I don't have a hatred for them. Mm -hmm. I feel very badly. And a lot of these, a lot of these kids that fall into that are on the autism spectrum. So I can't even blame them. They've been mm -hmm. moralized. But I mean, we could just have where anyone who who is for free speech and for you know our free society outlined in our in our declaration of independence you wouldn't be able to express such views you have to yeah. make a dissident and hide your views i America. just i just saw this i was going to see if this was relevant to our conversation i saw this this morning and it's exactly like stuff that we were provided when i was in um the counseling program this is about white culture and whiteness yeah and uh this is just, it just blows yes. me away. This was provided by the Smithsonian yeah, and, it's, so and it talks about white culture, the rugged individualism, self-reliance, independence and autonomy are valued and rewarded. Individuals are assumed to be in control of their environment. Family structure, the nuclear family, father, mother, and two to three children. Husband is the breadwinner, wife is the homemaker, children should have their own rooms and be independent. These are, these are uh, so oppressive. Yeah. So oppressive is whiteness. <laughs> Emphasis on the scientific method. Now this one's interesting. Objective, rational, linear thinking is whiteness. Cause and effect relationships, quantitative emphasis, history. Um, history is of immigrants, Europeans, British empire, Western Greek, Roman and Judeo-Christian, the Protestant work ethic, hard work is the key to success, work before play, um, religion, uh, Christianity is the norm, no tolerance for deviation from single God concept, um, and, and so on and so forth. Future orientation, delayed gratification is whiteness, um, plan, planning for the future is whiteness, following time schedules, um, and time being viewed as a commodity. Those are all, all whiteness. And so with so many things, I mean, some of those things are more specific, like specific historical references. You know, it does make sense. That makes a little bit of sense to me. Like that does have something to do with where people with light skin came from. There's the history that relates to those, those people's origin. Well, okay, that, that I'm, I'm with you. But saying that reason and rationality and, and scientific uh, thinking and, and these things are whiteness and therefore bad puts those things off limit, makes them disdainful for anybody to engage with. And that, that, that's, that's telling people of all backgrounds and all ethnicities, these things are, you don't want to do these. Don't value the family structure. Don't value um, a family unit with a husband and wife and children that's whiteness and we don't want to do that. And so, I don't know, I, I think that's pretty shocking. That's the material that I was being handed in a counselor education program as well. That, that one that I saw this morning wasn't from them, but, um, but it's, it's the insane. same kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, and everything in that list. And I saw that also, um, 
it's everything that is a threat to the implementation of communism in America mm-hmm. because because all of that is a structure that gives people a scaffolding to succeed mm-hmm. and to have power mm-hmm. and in order for the communists to succeed they have they need powerless weak mm-hmm. <clears throat> irrational brainwashed people who are unhealthy in every possible way yeah. um and you know even like what was shocking for me and again completing my book and c- catching it up to date there's there were some um do you remember maybe you do campus crusade for christ was kind of a thing mm-hmm. it was a, it's a college it was a it was a christian ministry for colleges and universities back like 90s and 2000s okay. and they, they've rebranded themselves there's a you see it on videotape they brought in people that are decrying the sin of whiteness Mm-hmm. Oh gosh! For Christ was wow. like this, this like conservative evangelical Christian organization and ministry, kind of. And now like, it's oh, now it's yeah. woke. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. having having the students like all in unison like repent for the sin of whiteness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Real. Yeah, and I know I'm kind of jumping around now, but when you said a little while ago you're talking about demoralization and the um, the erosion of sexual morals. I, I think I I haven't really figured out how to think about this in the broader picture, but I've been thinking a lot about it as I've been having these conversations and watching what's happening right now Mm -hmm. and going, it, it, it's all tied in. There's a thread that runs through all of it. And it's this, it seems to me that it's very anti-life that there's the, from what we talked about with the late term abortions now being fought for and, and, um, legalized and and celebrated even yeah. all the way through the now i see you looking off do you need to do, is your son present do you need okay because i don't want to say anything if you've got your kiddo there i don't want to say um yeah. things that would be disturbing to a kid but um uh the i don't know you, you know the promotion of, of gender exploration and yeah. not just gender exploration but also sexuality exploration in very young people and asking very, very young people to think about sex, sexual pleasure, sexual orientation, just sexual activity at all, the instruction on on ways of exploring the body and in sexual ways. And it it detaches it from any kind of potential meaning and value. It, It, you know, and again, I, I don't know where the line is drawn for different people and for different value systems for what is, what is it, what is sexual behavior for? Is it strictly for reproduction? Is it also somewhat recreational? Is it about connection and, 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 and love? And what, what is it for? I don't know, but at this point we've broken it down to the point where it's just about self-gratification and that's it. It's about we can be, we can have as many partners as we want and we can do it however we want. And don't, nobody should kink shame us because that's, that's your, that's your thing. And it, it is at that point, it's not that it is immoral. It's that it's amoral. It's just detached from morality at all. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I, I guess I am still trying to figure out how to think about this because I think that it, I think that there's a, a thread of meaning and I'm interested in different people's perspectives on this. Yeah. Well, this is the way to maximally destabilize a society mm-hmm. is to subvert the young people, children in this mm-hmm. way, on a mass mm-hmm. scale. And this was actually already tried by communists. They tried this in Hungary in, um, it was Lukács. He was a Hungarian communist. And in like the 1920s, he was trying to subvert Hungary to communism and they went into the schools and they they taught a very graphic sex education mm-hmm. to young children and getting young children to try to you know throw in the 1920s you say yes okay and the people of hungary ousted this they were like get out of our country oh wow we are not doing this um another experiment with this another communist experiment again because it's maximally destabilizing um, to society. Um, in the Soviet Union, they experimented with doing away with the family mm-hmm. and doing away with any kind of like, it was a sexual free-for-all. They were like, like, you know, you don't need to get married to the peasants. You can just go and, you know, mm-hmm. we'll take any babies that are born and we'll raise, the state will raise them. It was a massive failure. It, it, it the state could not handle all these children. Mm-hmm. 
single parents mm-hmm. and you know these peasants in the countryside you know they were told yeah just go and just have fun mm-hmm. you know just cut off all of your your previous moral you know um restrictions yeah yeah and um but yeah but they found that it was so destabilizing that they couldn't continue with that experiment um in the soviet union and also they did there was they were encouraging homosexual relations at that time and in the soviet union realized they had to go back to a traditional family and promotion of um sexual fidelity and the problem was because too many children were born yeah there were the family there was but with no one to look after them, the state had to take control and they could not so manage. The to- difference here is that now abortion is promoted and um, sterilization of minors is being promoted. Yeah. So, but okay. Max, yeah, but it's the maximally destabilizing thing that you can do to a to society um, is to subvert the young people in this way. And that's why this is another obvious clue to me we are in the very very late stages of this marxist cultural revolution here in america and that so many people i'm you know i'm i was almost 40 when i had my son so most mothers i live here in utah most mothers with like a child my age i mean there's a few older women that have maybe like four or five older children and a child my age but in terms of like people with like they have a child my age or younger they're way younger than me mm-hmm. Um, also, my mom was older when she had me, so I was raised with kind of, my mom grew up on a farm in rural Utah. I, I have old school values mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, it's shocking for me. I'm in this Facebook group, and I see, and it's moms helping moms, and it's a lot of these women, and they're good people, but they are, a lot of the women with the younger children are at this point, even in a conservative area of the country where I live, are totally on board with all of the the gender and queer Marxist mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't understand that it's Marxist. Mm-hmm. They're very happy. Younger to, people. Yeah. yeah. That their children decide that they're a different gender. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, support even that. And don't seem to have um, many issues with, um, you know, for instance, oh, you need to raise money. Well, go get an OnlyFans account. And you can, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, you're a mom with three kids, but you go have your OnlyFans thing and you can, you know, bring in bacon for your family mm-hmm. it's it's surprising to me but i see a lot of moms of young kids now that their morals are unhinged mm-hmm. <laughs> in my opinion and that and so their kids are very vulnerable mm-hmm. to indoctrination going on in the schools mm-hmm. because their parents aren't even going to try to rein it in for them mm-hmm. yeah and that makes sense given that this re-education project started in the universities and then yeah. you know crept down the line so people younger people than us i think we're about the same age mm-hmm. um younger people like I, i've talked about this when i went back to graduate school i was really surprised by what was being taught and i was also really surprised to look around the room and see that that the people were chiming right in they already knew the things to say they knew the phrases to say mm-hmm. and they were agreeing with it and it, it had slipped by me because i'd had a, a break from academia mm-hmm. and and yet it had been a part of their academic diet for that inter- intervening time. So right. Um, right. very interesting. And yeah. yeah, well, I I feel like you've given me a lot to think about and I really appreciate your perspective based on your experiences and your research. Mm-hmm. And would you mind holding up your book for everybody to take a look at it? Sure. Beneath Sheep's Clothing. There it is. And if you can um, give me, I will put any links down yeah. under this video. And so people can uh, find out where to buy your book and where to watch the trailer for your documentary that you're working on. And, and if they want to contribute to that project, they can help um, help you fund that because I think that's going to be a really interesting project to watch. Yeah, um, my website is beneathsheepsclothing.com and I'll send that to you. My book, um, you can link to it. Well, if you click on the book there to buy it, it will link you to my Amazon okay. account to buy the book. And the, the trailer is at beneathsheepsclothing.com as well. I'm asking people, who anyone who thinks that this information is important to get out, even a $15 donation is very mm-hmm. helpful. We're looking for some larger um, contributors as well. Um, and we have some perks to offer um, businesses or people that contribute 5,000, 20,000, but $15 is still great. Um, 
um, we, we definitely need funding. My filmmaker has been working for free so far and he has a family to support. So um, mm -hmm. we're working really hard to fundraise right now. And thank you for letting me um, share that. Um, but any contributions that people have would be very, very helpful. And you can, there's links to my Give, Send, Go right there on my website for people to donate if they would like to see this project become a reality. Excellent. Well, and I, I hope that it does and I look forward to watching it when it's ready. Thanks so and, much. Yeah, thank you so much, Julie. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, it was great to talk to you. Good to talk to you too.